I don't see too many tears. Uh, we won't have kids' church this morning. Uh, Kimberly and Mario uh, are in the hospital. They had a new baby. Uh, and so uh, baby Easton, Easton Cuellar, has arrived. Uh, and so Jade's thinking that's not fair. <laughs> uh, so we are... Uh, we will we will have kids church next Sunday. Uh, they left us with lots of uh, material and lots of uh, things to to take care of while they're out. But with them uh, being short, with such short notice, uh, we won't have kids church this morning. Uh, as we watch this video, you know, there's just a small sample of some of the church members who were directly affected. I don't believe that there is a single person in here that wasn't affected in some way, shape, or form. And there were many church members who, uh, who weren't able to send videos and weren't able to send pictures. Uh, I was really sad. We saw a few pictures of, of uh, the Lozanna's house, but I really wanted to get a video of them, but weren't able to. And there were a couple of others who we weren't able to get videos of. Miss Alice uh, would have loved to send a video, but uh, she said, if I do, I will die of embarrassment, so I won't. Uh, so we are uh, just a small sample size of those who were impacted. But I hope that you were able to see in the video the hope that was in Christ. As we've been throughout the community, throughout our neighborhoods, throughout Denham Springs and Central and Baton Rouge and Ascension Parish and the different areas that were so hard hit by this natural disaster, sometimes you walk into a home and the homeowners are in there and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. There is a sense of hopelessness. There is a sense of, of, of we just don't know. We don't know where the help's going to come from. We don't know how we're going to get the sheetrock out. We don't know how we're going to replace that which, which we once had. We don't know how we're going to rebuild. We don't know if we'll ever be whole again. But I hope that, that in that small video in that small slideshow, that you were able to see the hope that we have that's not in possessions, it's not in stuff, it's not in people, but it's the hope that we have in Christ. This morning, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 8, 28 through 37. And I know you're all thinking we're not in Matthew today, what's wrong? Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to read... A few passages of Scripture, and we're going to look at the hope that we have in Christ because of who God is. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 37. Start, and we hear Paul encourage the church in Rome. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And whom He predestined, these also He called. And whom He called, these also He justified. And whom He justified, these also He glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? For it is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through Him who loved us. Let's pray. God, may we see Your grace. May we see Your mercy in the hardship. May we see Your mercy in the trial and the tribulation. That we may that we may proclaim your goodness and proclaim your grace to a hopeless world. In Christ's name, amen. I want to remind you this morning of Jesus' teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he he ends with, with a parable. And he tells a parable. If you want, you can flip to it. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. And as Jesus, as he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this parable, he compares those who have heard the Sermon on the Mount and those who listen to what he says to man who has built his house upon the rock. Let's, let, let's read these few verses, verses 24 through 29 in chapter 7. He says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So as we see these passages, we see that Jesus illustrates for us that the, great, the, that the, the rains came and the floods rose and the wind battered the home of both the wise man and the foolish man. That those who, those who were called according to God's purpose and those who are living according to, to their own desires, their own hedonistic desires, that, that the wise man and the foolish man both encountered the same flood, the same rains, the same storm, the same winds. They both, in, they both experienced the same hardship. The difference was how they came through the flood. How they came through the storm. And as we saw testimony 
after testimony after testimony. That in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the flood, in the midst of losing all of our worldly possessions, in the midst of watching our home being completely destroyed, God was with us. There is hope because God is with us. The rains came. The wind beat upon both homes. The Scripture never tells us that in Christ we will be, we will be absolved from any hardship, trials, or tribulation. In fact, Paul tells us the exact opposite. He says, all those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. All those who desire to live godly will be will encounter trials and hardship. James says it like this in James chapter 1 verse 2. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Notice that James does not say, consider it all joy if you encounter various trials. It says when. There is a, there is a certainty that you will encounter trials. You will encounter hardship. You will encounter difficulties. That is the nature of the human condition. Because in Scripture it tells us that whenever Adam sinned, and whenever Eve sinned, that sin entered the world. And with sin entered death, disease, sickness, selfishness, pride. Because of the fallen nature of this world, because of the human condition that we are all born into, Trial, hardship, disease, sickness, calamity, devastation is part of the human condition. And so James says, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, consider it all joy. A relationship with Christ does not prevent calamity. A relationship with Christ does not put us in in some force field or put a barrier around our home or a barrier around our lives. For those of you who watch the floodwaters rise on Saturday and Sunday, you know that all too well. Amen? A relationship with Christ does not prevent difficult things. It does not prevent bad things. As I sat in a hospital room and I watched my dad die, my relationship with Christ did not prevent his death. As many of you have buried loved ones, children, A relationship with Christ does not prevent calamity. It does not prevent natural disasters. Those believers in Haiti know that all too well today. So what is the purpose? Why why is a relationship with Christ necessary? A relationship with Christ doesn't prevent calamity, but it does two things. And I want us to notice this from Scripture. It gives us hope in the midst of trial and affliction. And two, it gives us It gives purpose to the trials. First of all, let's back up to the text. Romans chapter 8. I want us to see something that oftentimes we miss in this passage. Go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. The very first words that we looked at. Paul said, And we know that God causes all things. You see that? It does not say that God allows all things. It does not say that God will somehow manipulate certain things. It says that God causes all things. We know from the truth of Scripture, from the whole counsel of God's Word, that God is a sovereign God. That not a 
raindrop falls out of the sky and hits the ground. Not a leaf falls off of the branch of a tree and hits the ground without the foreordination and the providence of God. God causes all things. Whether directly or whether indirectly, God causes all things. We see in the story of Job that God indirectly causes the hardship and the trial that Job endures. Satan approaches Job and I'm sorry, Satan approaches God and says and says the only reason that Job still still gives praise to your name and still does right is because you have blessed him with all of that, all of what he has. He has money, he has power, he has influence, he has family, he has wealth, he has everything. God indirectly causes the destruction in Job's life. He allows Satan To strip everything, including his health. We see that God is sovereign. When it rained, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the Amy River swole, and the Comey River swole, and every bayou, and every canal, and every drainage ditch overflowed. Why? Because God caused it. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand the truth of Scripture. God is not the author of evil. James tells us that very clear. God is not the author of evil. God cannot be tempted. God cannot cannot, uh, be engaged in sinful activity. But God indirectly or directly causes all things. And so... Understanding the sovereignty of God, that God directly or indirectly causes all things, it tells us in Romans chapter 8, He does so for good. We just sang that He's a good, good Father, that He's perfect in all of His ways, that He is good and that He does good, that God is good. And, And in our finiteness, we may not always understand that. As you're sitting out there, many of your your homes may be completely destroyed. And and, and you're asking me, you're saying, Preacher, tell me how this is good. Explain to me how this is good. I can't. For those of you who have buried children, explain to me how this is good. I can't. For those of you who have watched your loved ones suffer, who have experienced inexplainable pain. Preacher, tell me how this is good. And the answer that I have for you is I can't. But I can tell you this, that my God is good and does good. We have a finite understanding and a limited understanding of this world We have a limited understanding of the next world. We have a limited understanding of God. We have a finite. We see dimly. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see dimly. We see in part. But then on the other side of glory we will see fully as we are fully known. If I were to tell you. I need you to come 
to the doctor once every other week. And we're going to put an IV in your arm and we're going to inject you with poison that's going to destroy your immune system, that's going to destroy your organs, that's going to, to make you sick, and it's, it's going to be toxic. We need you to do this for the next six months, every other week. Come in, and we're going to, to poison you. You would say, that's stupid. It's crazy. There's no way that I'm going to willingly do this to my body. There's no way I'm going to, to engage in this destructive aspect of, of this destructive behavior. But if you knew that you had cancer and that this poison that we're going to inject into your body could not only kill the your immune system and your other organs, but it could potentially kill the cancer cells and allow you to live a long, healthy life with your family, with your loved ones. Then with a full understanding, you will gladly take evil, painful, destructive measures for the ultimate good of being with your family. We have a very finite understanding. God is infinite. We have a very temporal understanding. God is eternal. And so, when Paul writes, we know that God causes all things to work together for good, Paul is basing that on his understanding of the character of God. That He is good and that He does good. And so when Paul says we know this is a certainty that God causes all things and all things that God causes are for good. We see that God does it for good. Our suffering is not random. It is not meaningless. God is often using it for His glory, for His good. This gives us hope. In the midst of affliction. This gives us hope in the midst of trial. This gives us hope when the waters rise. It is also important that we understand that this affliction is temporary. For God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This affliction is temporary. As you can see, For eight weeks, we weren't here. But we're here. We're back. There's no carpet. There's dust everywhere. When you leave, when you stand up, you're going to have to do this, especially if you wore black, because there's sheetrock dust everywhere. It doesn't matter how many times you vacuum. And if you've been working in your homes, you can dust and clean and, and wipe down. And, and as soon as you wipe down, five minutes later, there's dust everywhere. And, and it's, it's, it's just, it's part of what it is. But it's temporary. Because there's coming a day, hopefully sooner rather than later, where there will be carpet. And there will be, uh, we're actually going to get a stall. A stall door for the ladies' restroom. And, and so you won't have to go to the bathroom behind a curtain. And, and there's going to be an end to this. Even if your trial and your affliction ends in death. It is temporary. It is temporary. This world that we live in is temporary. This world that we live in is, is 
fleeting. It is passing. James said it like this. He said our lives are but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. How do we know this? Because Christ rose from the grave. And His resurrection ensures, His resurrection guarantees that we will rise again and that we will be with Him forever. And so the pain, the affliction, the the trial, the devastation, the destruction is temporary. And that ought to give us hope. That's how Paul is able to say in Thessalonians. He's able to tell the church at Thessalonica, when, when, when there's a, a, a believer who dies, I don't want you to mourn and grieve as the Gentiles do, as those who have no hope. Mourn and grieve. Yes, that's natural, that's human. But do it in such a way that, that those who know Christ, we have hope. That this world is fleeting and that, that, that what is passing is past. And we have hope that just as Christ rose from the dead, we too will rise victorious over sin and over death. But I don't want us to lose this, church. Go with me, if you will. Go back to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. The relationship with Christ not only gives us hope in the midst of our trial, but it gives purpose to the trial. It gives purpose to the trial. The flood that God sent to South Louisiana was not arbitrary. There was a purpose to it. Just by a show of hands, how many of you over the last couple months, have spent time gutting a home, a business, a church, whether it's yours or whether it's a neighbor or friend. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have been able to have a deeper conversation with your neighbors, your co-workers? How many of you have been able to, to demonstrate grace and mercy and, and benevolence in a way that, that you would have never had the opportunity to before. Anybody? There is a purpose to the affliction. Do you understand that, that God's purpose in saving you is not simply to, to ensure that you go to heaven when you die? That the whole purpose for salvation is so that God may impact this world for His name and for His glory. And our eternity in heaven is a side effect of God impacting this world for His glory and for His name. If the end result, if God's end purpose was so that we would go to heaven as soon as we are saved, God zaps us up to heaven and, and, and we're done. 
But that's not his purpose. In fact, he tells us in John chapter 17 that, that God prays for his disciples. He said, I don't pray that you remove them from this world, but that you keep them in this world. And as you keep them in this world, you keep them and protect them from the evil one. Why? Because God desires his church to be a light in a dark world. He desires his church to be salt, to be savory to a world that is tasteless. There is a purpose to our affliction. Our trial gives us an opportunity for the gospel. Revelation chapter 12, 11, it says this, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and listen, the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto death. We have a testimony. The Zumbros have a testimony. The Castons have a testimony. The Franklins have a testimony. The Lloyds have a testimony. The Lozanas have a testimony. Every one of us that picked up a hammer, that ripped out sheetrock, that used a shop vac and sucked up worms under carpet, every one of us have a testimony for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of of evangelism because there are homes that you walk into, there are neighbors that you talk to, there are co-workers that you talk to, there are loved ones that you talk to that have no hope. That when they lost all their material possessions, their world fell apart. But we have hope. We who are in Christ have hope. And the whole reason that God wants us to look like Jesus, the whole reason it says in Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, for those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why did He conform us to the image of His Son? Why does He desire for us to be like Jesus? It's not so that we can check all the boxes and we can, we can be good enough and we can, we can keep all the rules. No. But it's so when a hopeless world looks at us, they see Jesus. It was so encouraging to me to hear Amanda's testimony. She didn't even realize she was preaching my sermon. But she said when, when they showed up at my house and loaded everything up on my on a trailer and moved it out, they were the hands and feet of Jesus. And it wasn't because we kept the law. It wasn't because we, we did everything right. It wasn't because we said everything right. It wasn't because we, we didn't do certain things and did other things. But no, it was because we loved. They will know you're my disciples when you love one another. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction separate us from the love of Christ? No. Can peril? No. Can, can death? No. The whole reason God desires us to look like Jesus is so we can be His representative. So we can be His ambassador. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating the world through us. Historically, the church has thrived in difficulty. During the reign of Nero, the church thrives. 
during the reign of Domitian when they were taking Christians and throwing them in the Colosseum for sport. Making them fight wild beasts. The church thrived. During the Protestant Reformation, the church thrived. During a Cold War in Russia and Ukraine, the church thrived. During a communist regime in China where they were literally killing Christians just for being Christians, the church thrived. The church thrives in difficulty because God desires to use hardships and use affliction to demonstrate His grace and His mercy and His power and His might to a world that doesn't understand, to a world that is hopeless. Why? Because there's hope in Christ. Because there's purpose in Christ. This morning, we gather here to celebrate what God has done. And what God has done is not simply put this building back together. But what God has done is paid the penalty for our sin. What God has done is ensured hope for all of us. Building or no building. Sheetrock or no sheetrock. We celebrate because of who Jesus is and what He has done. Let's pray. God, as we celebrate Your goodness, may we be overwhelmed by the love that You have for us. May we realize that it is Your love and Your kindness. It is Your grace and Your mercy that purchases for us eternity. It is not our goodness. It is not our ability to keep the law. It's not our righteousness. For we know that we are sinners. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. Lord, we pray as we celebrate Christ, as we celebrate Your goodness and Your grace, as we celebrate Your faithfulness to us in the midst of this flood, in the midst of this natural disaster, may Jesus Christ receive all glory. As we go into this time of invitation, maybe God has encouraged you. Maybe God has spoken to your heart reminding you of His faithfulness, of His love. Maybe God's calling you this morning to be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. May today be a day where we recognize His great love for us. Lord, we thank You for Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen.